This is the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. This will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And I'll be saying a little bit more about that later on in this conversation. Today, we have the New Year's Eve special. So this is the last podcast episode for the year 2020. And I thought, today we'd look at the whole podcast in review. I'm going to go over a few of my favorite episodes and just sort of have a relaxed general talk about things and what I'm feeling and what I'm up to and how I feel about certain things and my approach to certain things. So if you're not a regular listener, probably this episode could serve as like an introduction for you. But also, because I'm talking about my process and personal stuff, it might not interest you that much, so probably best to start somewhere else if this is the very first episode that you're hearing. And where do I begin? I feel like I've got a lot to say. (laughs) It's funny how often that happens. (laughs) Where do I begin? I mean, there's, there's quite a few things I want to say. I mean, the bulk of this conversation will be me going through the highlight episodes of the year for me that we've done so far. And I won't go through all of them because there's a lot, but that's mostly what I want to talk about. And I mean, what else? I mean, there's so much else. I guess I feel it's a bit of a, it's a little bit against the rules to talk about your own process. It's a little bit Like, just offer what you've got. Don't show your process. But my attitude from the get-go has been to be transparent and even to mess with the process in such a way and actually to blur the lines between process and result. And that's all been in the spirit of experimentation. That's really what this podcast is. It's an experimental podcast. And in many ways, I've gone against the rules. For example, when you start out making a podcast, the advice is to specialize. The advice is to stick with, well, just one topic so that people can identify you with that. And well, we haven't done that, have we? Another rule is to come up with a name that people can easily remember for the podcast and I thought, well, okay, what what can I call this podcast? What should I call it? I asked someone and they said, well, what's something that ties in all together all the things that you're talking about? And the only thing I could think of was, was me, me personally. So I called it the Andrew Lake podcast. And of course, no one's heard of Andrew Lake, or at least not, not me, the Andrew Lake. There probably is a famous Andrew Lake out there. Maybe it's the... Andrew Lake in Minnesota, which is an actual lake in 
Northwest America. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder if I should have called the podcast Over My Head. <laughs> and we had the theme song for a while there. When we first started out, there was the theme song, which was the song Over My Head. And somehow that does fit. Somehow I think we could have done that. I mean, there are a lot of topics that are over my head, and yet we do them anyway. So maybe in another life we'll call the podcast Over My Head. Now, I'd like to go into a little bit of a history of where it all started. I know it seems maybe (laughs) a bit funny to do that because we are only just starting. I mean, I feel like I'm just starting out. So, just to lay it out, just to have something to talk about, if you're interested in it. I mean, I'm not trying to be too serious today. I'm not trying to be too heavy. I'm just trying to take my time as well. So, I hope you appreciate that. So, as for the history of the Andrew Lake podcast or how it's been happening, I started releasing episodes in October 2018. So it's just over two years ago, and for a few months I was doing an episode a day, and it felt great. It was amazing. It was just, it was just such an exciting, brilliant thing. I felt like I'd really found something that was aligned with all my values and all my skills, and I was bringing everything together. And then my life circumstances changed and I actually had myself pulled towards something else, something that had been calling me for a long time, and that was India. So I recorded a whole bunch more episodes and I started releasing them actually at less and less frequency. So I then went to India with still having some episodes coming out And I'll say more about pre-recording, maybe later on in this conversation, if I remember to say it. And I then went to India, and I went to India, and the podcast ended, and I had about, I had about 90 episodes at that stage, once it ended. And in India, I spent a year, approximately, studying meditation, doing transformative practice, I was also traveling to other countries, but for the bulk of my time I was in India and doing personal development, spiritual practices, learning about awareness techniques, learning about heaps of stuff, and I was completely immersed. That was a full-time, 24-7, non-stop process, and the things that happened to me, the things that I saw, the things that I experienced, well, those are the stories of a lifetime. Those are the stories of a complete explosion, a complete, just, it just, I'm I'm gobsmacked. I'm completely in awe. It brings a tear to my eye just to, just to mention it right now. And if you've listened along, you've heard the results. You've heard what it's been like since I've had those experiences and how I've changed and all that I've said and I've shared many of those experiences on the podcast. So I came back from India 
And I just knew I had to start up the podcast again. I thought this is the this is basically the only thing I wanted to do. The only other thing I wanted to do was to write write some audio books, which I'm slowly chipping away at. But I had to start up the podcast again. So I started it up again in May 2020. And since then, I've done an episode per day, every single day. And that would bring us to where we are now, today, with this New Year's Eve special. (laughs) So it's something like 300 episodes, or I mean, I don't know the exact amount, but it must be a few hundred. And I do wonder if it's too much information. I wonder if it's too... Yeah, I mean, my approach has always been to just follow what my intuition is telling me. Do it in the way that it seems right to do it. Now, there are many approaches to podcasting. Some people just do one per month and they're four hours long. Some people do one per week and they're with an interview person. Now, the majority of mine have been solo, completely solo. And really, to say on that, what can I say about that? I mean, when I first started out, I was doing interviews and conversations with people, and there's only a few. And really, that's how typically you build a podcast, because you talk with someone and then they share it with their audience, and then their audience becomes hip to they become aware of your podcast. And so you're sort of working your way in by associating yourself with people who have a platform. And that was the idea initially, but I found I found I had too much to say on my own. I had too much that I wanted to simply speak straight out. And sometimes this would even crowd the interview. It would be an encroaching on the interview. And it's really best now, I see, to let your guest speak, let them say what they want. And of course, I did do that a little bit, Um, not as much as really I felt I should have. And I felt like, I I always felt that the, the guest had more knowledge than I brought out from them with that conversation. There was always so much more that they could have offered Like they had more expertise, more experience, more stories than I was allowing for because of my approach. Now, I have learned a lot since then. I've learned about listening and I've learned about interview styles and these sorts of things. But still, I felt like, you know, oh, we didn't quite get there. So that's some of the reasons why I don't do interviews. I don't have anyone on. And it's not that I will say that I'm not open to it, and I'm not to say that it won't change in the past. I will have people on if if the direction is taking me in that direction, if the direction is taking me that way. <laughs> if a direction, can a direction take you somewhere? <laughs> what is it that's taking you this way? It's the direction. <laughs> I'll have to remember that one. And where was I? interviews, talking with people, and yeah, the the fact of the matter is I had too much to sh- to say on my own. I had too many of my own ideas, too many of my own teachings, and it was really, once I had figured that out, 
it was just like like a bull out of the gate. It was just like, blah. And I've always been like that when something's taken over me as an obsession. When something's been in my life, it's been a very deep passion. And you probably know what some of those have been for me if you've known me personally. And it's just just the way that it is. I'm prolific. I don't know if it's any good. I still don't know if any of it's any use to anyone. But it feels incredibly right for me to be doing it this way. So that's why things have turned out this way. And that's why it's an episode a day. And probably some more thoughts about that will come up as this conversation continues. So I release episodes in advance. And it's never the same day. And for the majority of this year, 2020, I've actually released them quite a fair fair way in advance. So there's a number of reasons for that. One is I don't want to be working under pressure with the kind of creativity and the kind of processes that I'm doing, the kinds of things we're talking about and the kinds of ideas we're going into, they can't be presented under pressure. They can't be presented under a deadline. It's not like a university paper. It's not like an essay that's due for your teacher. It has to be more flowing. It has to be more natural. That's the only way the delivery can be the way it needs to be in order for these ideas to get across. So that's one reason. And I realize this can come across as being completely out of touch with the times, right? Because it's completely devoid of the things that are happening in the world, the current affairs. Now, this is a conscious choice. This is a decision that I've made. I'm not interested in current affairs, at least for what we're talking about here. Now, don't take that to mean that I'm not interested in current affairs personally. Of course, I'm a man of the world. The world still affects me. I still have an interest in these things. I have an opinion of these things. These things do affect me. They have an impression on me. I'm I'm in it as much as anyone. We're all in this together. How many times have I said that? We're all in this together. But as for current affairs, well, there's enough chit-chat about that, and you can go somewhere else to hear that. And this whole idea of keeping up with the current hot topic of trends, it doesn't float my boat. I'm not interested at all. Now, another reason I'm releasing things in advance is because it gives me this sense of really trying to see if it's worthwhile to talk about it. Now, of course, we can assess whether I'm successful or not with doing that, that's for sure. But the idea that I've got runs as this. If it's of interest now, and it's of interest in three months, And if it's of interest in a few years, well, then it's a good chance that it's a timeless idea. 
And those are the sort of ideas I want to get towards. Those are the sort of concepts and the techniques and the philosophies and psychologies and so on that I'd want to err towards. Now, it's not to say that we're all like that. Of course, we could put this into a kind of spectrum. We could say, well, there's current affairs, which is out of date tomorrow, on one end. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've got these timeless truths, which are true for millennia. And they will be true for millennia constantly, forever, always. And it's just my feeling that I want to move towards that timeless end. And of course, it might be that I don't go all that way. I don't go very far into that end of the spectrum. But that's just my feeling. That's just my approach. So I do wonder if sometimes (laughs) it will just be completely outrageous that I'm still you know, releasing episodes when something has happened. You know, I can, I can imagine the, the, the nuclear holocaust comes, complete collapse of civilization, and then that day I'm releasing a, an episode about puppy dogs or something, puppy dog consciousness techniques <laughs> or teddy bear consciousness techniques. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I just wonder how that would go and maybe that would be, well, I guess we'll see how it's like that when it when it comes, right? <laughs> It'll be well. It's just a, it's just a funny image, isn't it? It's just a funny image. Oh, what what is up with Dosta? The the nuclear col- holocaust has come. Half of civilization has collapsed, and he's talking about puppy dog consciousness techniques. What is wrong with him? Has he got any idea of what's going on in the world? <laughs> And of course, I felt a little bit of that when the pandemic broke out, this COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, I have no comment for the pandemic. And of course, there's many personal things in which ways that the pandemic has affected me. And maybe that'll come out in a book or other conversations later on. But still, I was bringing myself back to saying, hey, what's really important here? What's the real ground? What's the real foundation of what we're going for? How do we just turn our heads slightly back towards those timeless truths and not get so caught up in the times so easily? And when I did that, I thought, well, I just have to venture on. I just have to Keep saying what I need to say. The other thing about releasing them in advance is that these episodes take time. Now, it might appear to be like, oh, one episode, one day. So it takes one day to make an episode, right? That's the basic logic. That's the maths. Actually, no. Actually, some episodes take weeks and weeks and weeks of preparation. And really, many of the things that we've been talking about here this year have been from all of my studies in the previous year. So, the process of coming up with ideas and thinking about how to illustrate them, analogies and explanations and 
how to get different information together and all these sorts of things. That takes time, you know, like an episode is brooding in my notebooks. Well, not brooding. I don't know if that's the right word. Brewing. (laughs) There is a difference between brooding and brewing. (laughs) Maybe maybe it is the case that sometimes an episode is brooding. (laughs) Maybe I have been brooding on a few of these. I hope not too much. I mean, I've been I've been fairly cool-headed most of the time, I think. <laughs> but that's another reason why the schedule is the way it is. So, will I be able to keep up an episode per day? Well, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, another uh, further thing about releasing a long time in advance is that I can actually stop for long periods. I can actually have a break. So I'm releasing every single day, but I might have three weeks off or a whole month off or even longer where I just say, I'm not going to think about the podcast. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not even going to make notes. And I'm going to use that time actually, strangely, to regenerate and actually, in a way, create new episodes through research, through study through finding new things, through exposure to new methods, new techniques, new processes. So that's a little bit of my thoughts about release schedule and the podcast. And that is a sort of behind-the-scenes look, very transparent look. I mean, I don't know how else to spin it. I mean, is it... Is it prolific to do one per day? I don't know. I mean, there are other content creators that do the same thing. Whether they're as dense in information as what I'm doing, I don't know. And the whole thing of writing trends, I mean, I can see how... I can see how you can build a following on that. Because what's trending is, well, what's popular. What's trending is where... The most interest is. But if you haven't noticed yet, we're not interested in where the most interest is. We're interested in the thing that is the most interesting, which is different to the collective consciousness. It's different to the collective attention span of the masses. This is not mainstream stuff. We're talking about hidden stuff, we're talking about mysticism, we're talking about techniques which are occult, they're hard to find, they're they're always in some sort of fringe just because you have to be a certain sort of person to be interested in those sort of things. So in that way, well, everything we talk about is specialised or what was what was the word I used? Yeah, specialized. It's a specialized podcast, by that measure, at least. So, now a little bit about, uh, like, my goals. <laughs> I don't know if I have any goals. <laughs> I mean, the first thing to understand is I'm not willing to compromise on a meditative life. Like, meditation comes first. 
And that takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of giving up of things. And I don't regret giving up those things. I don't regret making that sacrifice. And in fact, I would take measures to make sure I continue to make those sacrifices. I take measures to make sure that I remember how important it is to make those sacrifices. So all the things we talk about, I do. All the meditations, I do. And there are many things that I work on. Well, basically everything I work on is just, it's just for me. It's just for my personal development. It's for my spiritual development. And really talking about it and explaining to others is a part of that. It's a part of my practice. But it's not central. So keep that in mind. And how do I explain this? I mean, what what can I say? It's such a... Well... To give you an idea of what I envision for myself from this or what would be really sort of like amazing if it could happen for me is if I could actually get some income from it. It's if I could actually make this my job. Now, so far, I've been okay in my situation to put a lot of time into this podcast. But I can see how in the future I won't be able to do that simply because of my situation. So if I was to get some income from the podcast, if I was able to successfully monetize it even just for a little bit, then that would be amazing. That would just be something, wow, like it would just take a a pressure off me for so many things. Now, the way I see it, it doesn't have to be very big in order to do that. And hear me out. This is sort of my vision. This is sort of my idea. I've heard other content creators talking about this rule of 1,000. And this idea is that if you can have a 1,000 followers then you can make a living from your content, 1,000 only. And let me be clear about what I mean by a follower. By a follower, I mean someone who follows along, someone who actually listens intently, someone who does the exercises, someone who is engaged, someone who responds to the questions, someone who is on board, someone someone who gets it, right? Do you get the big idea? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm talking about? Have you got a sense of it yet? Do you really know what it's all about? Now, if you're that kind of person, if you're really following along, then the idea is that you're someone who would buy a product from me. That's the kind of follower I need. Someone who gets it, someone who's on board, someone who resonates with it, And they can buy a product, something productive, something that is in alignment with the message that we're giving here. And if I can have a thousand of those, then that's enough. Because whatever price you put on that product, you're going to have it times a thousand. 
And that could easily be enough to give me an income which is about the same as the manager at a fast food fast food restaurant. And that's what I was working as before. I had a job as a manager of fast food restaurants. And I was earning quite a decent amount, the most money I've earned in my in my life. And since then, well, I've been without an income. It's been quite a quite a while since I've had an income at all. So to be able to replace that, to be able to get back to that, then that would be truly amazing. And if I do a product every few years and I have a thousand followers and they purchase that product, then that would do it. That would be it. That would be like done, right? I've achieved all of what I've wanted. I've achieved what I set out to do financially at least by creating content. Now it is a tall order. A thousand people to hear what you're saying. A thousand people to understand what you're actually talking about. That is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And I figure that it must be possible just by the law of fractions because we've got about 4 billion people who have the internet. That's 4 billion. Now, 1,000 as a fraction of 4 billion is microscopic, right? It's minuscule. And it's hard to break it down, really, because out of the 4 billion, well, how many of them have high-speed internet? Probably less. Then also, how many of them have access to this content platform? Well, not every con- not every country provides the hosting of the platform that I'm on. So that would be a portion less. And then there's how many people have the interest in podcasts? How many people actually even listen to podcasts at all? And that would be even less. And then you can get down to even more microscopic things and you can say, well, how many people have even heard of the Andrew Lake podcast? (laughs) And it's not many. It's not many at all. And that's an issue of exposure. That's an issue of, well, they just haven't heard of it because it hasn't popped up on their screen. So you might have a podcast which is available to all 40 billion people on the internet, but it's not going to pop up on their screen anytime soon. And you could say also this same thing of proportions applies to downloads, right? So you could say, well, Dosta, how many downloads do you get? How many followers do you have? How many subscribers do you have? How many people subscribe on YouTube or Podbean or whatever it is, whatever the platform is? And at the moment, I think I have, I think I have about 11 subscribers. (laughs) So to get from a thousand from 11, (laughs) you can see how I'm still sort of thinking this is such a big dream, right? It's such a big thing for me to want to do. Uh, (laughs) I'm still reminding myself to keep myself pretty modest, yeah? But even then, even then, even with a thousand subscriptions, that's not the same as a thousand followers. Because you can have 
plenty of people who have clicked the subscribe button but don't listen to it. They don't follow along. They don't get it. They're not going to buy the product. And I get the download counts. I get how many people have listened to it. But I don't really know what that means. Honestly, I don't know if it means anything. Because it might be, say, I get 100 downloads in one day. And there has been days when I've had 100 in one day. But then I can think, well, have they downloaded it and not listened to it? Have they downloaded it, listened to the first five seconds, and said, well, this guy has no idea what he's talking about, and then never listened to me again? Or is it one person who's downloaded 100 episodes and hasn't listened to any of them, or has listened to all of them, and it's just one person that I've reached? I don't know. I don't know. You never can know. And in terms of the engagement, there's been very little engagement at all. And I don't know if that's really so important to me at this stage because I do simply have a message that I need to say. I'm saying things simply because I need to say them because they're, they're bursting out from me. They're just... They're just aching to be said. So whether someone leaves a comment or not, well, that's a tricky one. It's sort of like if someone leaves a comment, wow, it means someone's heard it. But then again, I don't want to get caught up in all these <laughs> all these online chats and things and all these responses. So the other image I wanted to sort of paint was this thing of it doesn't need to be that big it is still possible to reach what I think is possible and the imagery I use or the thing that I think of is like the person who's got a trade like a plumber or a someone who makes tiles someone who does tiling now when you learn a trade you do an apprenticeship and you work for the boss while he teaches you. He teaches you how to put the tiles down. And after a certain amount of time, you understand it. You know how to do it, right? And at around that certain stage, you think, well, I'm working for him, and we're basically doing the same thing, so I'm going to go off and start my own trade. I'm going to be a sole trader. So I'll put the name of my business... Andrew's Tile Services on the side of my car, on the side of my ute, and I'll put up signs around the place and I'll get my phone number out there. Maybe I'll do some social media advertising and then when someone calls me, they can get me to work their tiles, fix their tiles and I'll go and do it myself. And because I work with my boss, I know where to buy the supplies from. I know how to do it. I know how to clean it up and I know how to get the referrals and so on. And then you're working for yourself. Now, as far as I can understand, I don't see why the same thing can't be said of meditation. I can't see why the same thing doesn't happen for someone who's teaching techniques or someone who's a teacher. It is... Sort of, I mean, what am I thinking? 
it's like the other side of that is once you're a sole trader, you can say, okay, well, now I'm going to do heaps of advertising and I'll get more calls than I personally can service, right? And then you employ someone. Maybe you employ the new tradies and then you do even more advertising and then you create a franchise and then you've turned this sort of sole trading job into this huge business and then you're no longer someone making tiles. You're someone who's doing advertising and running the books and doing branding, doing all sorts of marketing and then you've turned it into this huge thing, right? So it can go that way as well. But I like the idea of it just being like, why can't it be simple? Why can't it be small? Is it so much to ask? And this ties back with what I said about not compromising my meditative lifestyle because to, to make it into a big thing, well, that's sort of the sacrifice. That's sort of what you have to watch out for because doing that encroaches on the meditative lifestyle. Doing that is really what detracts from doing the serious spiritual work. And I look at, you know, there's plenty of content creators that hit the big time, right? They hit the big time so big. They have, they have hundreds of thousands of followers or even millions of followers, right? There are content creators out there now. So I'm talking, I'm talking about people who weren't just famous and then use that fame on the internet. I'm talking about people who use the internet, right? There's sort of two categories of high followers on like famous people on the internet. There's people who were famous anyway, and the people who got famous through the internet, through the content that they created. And some of those people, you can just say by proportions that they have ridiculous amounts of success. Like say, say you have a million followers Say you have a million subscribers, right? Even if only a portion of those are dedicated followers who will buy a product from you, then you're still going to have a large proportion, right? Say say it's only half. Say it's less than half. Say it's 250,000. Then you have your product, and some of these products are in the hundreds of dollars. So you have a product which is $400, and 250,000 people buy it. Well, maybe not 250,000 people will buy it. Maybe only, maybe only 10,000 will buy it. 10,000 people buying a $400 product. You got yourself $4 million. Now, of course, these sorts of things are just made up. They're just ideas. They're just who knows what the real stats are on some of these content creators. All that information is private. And who knows what they're really making. And it's different for everyone, of course. And you can say, well, their content is worth that. Their information is worth that. They're actually providing that value. And I just think, man, like if only I had, if only I had like a portion of a portion of a portion of what you had, I could have 
just my basic living expenses taken care of. And that would be enough. Like I, I don't live this lavish lifestyle. It's a very basic, almost like a monk sort of lifestyle. And I don't want this, I don't want this to come across like the like the oh sympathy sympathy subscriber or sympathy sales. I don't want to have that sort of hanging around me. So if I do release a product, I want it to be on the value of the product, of the interest in the product that people buy it. So those are a few thoughts on where I sit in my career as a podcast host. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I do have ideas about creating a meditation course. And And I can't help but think, well, the pricing is set on, well, how many people will buy it? And I think a lot of the price tags on meditation courses are simply there because of the popularity that the person who created it has rather than the actual value. I think that does exist. I think that does happen. As much as we love to live in the meritocracy society, right? Everyone gets what they deserve. You've heard that before. Well, there's a lot of problems with that idea. There's a lot of problems with, oh, it's expensive because it's worth a lot. There's a lot that can't be said about that. There's a lot that doesn't sit right with that. But let's not make this into a sort of rant against the people who are more successful than me. (laughs) I mean, those people, I mean, I look up to them. I admire them. I very much... I mean, monkey see, monkey do, right? That's all this is. That's all this whole podcast is. It's me seeing people doing certain things that I think, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. I've got so much out of that. Let me try. I want to do that. I want to try. Give me a turn. Yeah? That's what it's like for me. And I can't talk bad about those other content creators because, well, I've listened to them. I've consumed all their products. I've done all their things. I've done what they've said. And that was that was a phase. Like I do I do listen to podcasts, but not really. Like not very much at all. Once I became a content creator, my content consumption really drastically reduced. And even even in ways like not at all. Like I even stopped using YouTube altogether or any of the social medias for stretches at a time. Now, it's not entirely, it's not entirely gone from my information diet, but for huge stretches, I've been completely without internet consumption. And I found that it's just the way it has to be when I'm creating a lot. There's this sort of loop that happens. And I wonder if I could even do a whole conversation about this. It'll be a conversation on creativity and consumption. Because there's sort of there's this sort of loop when you have things going in. When you have things going in, you don't really have this way of having things come out. 
It's like those two things don't go together. Pushing out and receiving in. And I just think of like so many examples of when that's the case and how that applies to creativity in a whole bunch of disciplines, not just speaking, public speaking. And I think, well, maybe we can have a whole conversation on that. There's a lot in that. That's a that's a big one. So let's not go too far into that. Maybe watch out for it in a future episode. So what else do I need to say? What else do I need to say? I mean, I was going to say something about please share. So... If you hear me say, please share your favorite episode, now you sort of understand what my goals are, what my picture is of what it could lead to. And you can decide if that's fair or not. You can decide if that's the sort of thing that you value. That's the sort of position you want to support. And I'm perfectly transparent about it. And I figured that I'd start, I mean, I I released the first hundred or so episodes without telling anyone to share it. And it did grow. It did grow naturally. And I did that because I figured, well, if it's any good, it will grow at least a little bit. And then now that I've started asking people to share it, then I guess, well, it should grow even more, right? And I should be further on the way to my goals. And then you can ask yourself, you know, well, is it worth sharing? Is it really something that people need to know about? And I guess that's up for you to decide. That's up to you to decide. And it does help me, now that you know where I sit, for someone to share it. So it's a very easy way for you to give back. I mean, all all these episodes so far have been free. And... Believe it or not, <laughs> I've said this before. Another way of, or another way of putting this is, believe it or not, to create three hundred episodes for free is unsustainable. To create hundreds and hundreds of hours of content and just have no sort of financial support because of that is unsustainable. And there's also this thing of, well, why don't you have advertisers? Why don't you put some advertising on it? And, oh man, I mean, have you heard me talk about advertising? Have you heard me talk about mainstream culture and marketing? Have you heard anything that we've been going on about here and how I feel about marketing, if that's what you're going to ask? And who knows, like I wouldn't rule out doing advertising, but I really like the idea of having something pure, I really like the idea of having something where I can say what I want without having to worry about sponsorships. And you have so much, I mean, there's so much content on the internet which is saturated with advertising. And that's what I hate about it. That's what I hate about all the the, the content that's on there. And sometimes it's so ironic. Like you can you can even be watching 
a personal development video talking about how bad advertising is for you. And and in that exact moment, in the middle of the video, this, this advertising pops up for some sugary product or some shitty thing that you don't need. And the irony there, the the distaste I have for that really makes me not want to do advertising. And of course, maybe this is just one of the sacrifices I have to make. Maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe it's just, and I mean, maybe the podcast would never even be big enough to have advertisers at all. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, I talk about it like I'm some sort of mainstream you know, podcast, but really it's small time. This is small time fish talking anyway. So there there are a few thoughts on advertising. And what else do we have? It's probably it's probably about all that I can think of for now before we get into my selected favorites for the year. And really, I mean, ultimately, you can share it or not. It is, it is entirely up to you. You are your own person. And the whole thing of self-doubt, me asking myself, well, is it worth it to anyone? On the one hand, and then on the other hand, thinking, whoa, this is amazing. Well, that's my trip. That's sort of the, that's the, that's the classic artist's dilemma that's the classic creator's dilemma or the creative person's dilemma because they love what they do so much and yet no one appreciates it or a seemingly no one appreciates it they can sort of osciliate between those two feelings and that's a dynamic that's a sort of back and forth which has degrees to it, it has flavors to it, and it has a range of how conscious I am of it. So don't think that I sit behind this microphone secretly wishing, oh, I wish more people, I wish more people would follow this. And then also at the same time, when I'm really pepped up and I'm just like, you know, fuck yeah, this is the most incredible thing ever. This is heavy. This is the real stuff. You know, there's sort of both of those in different ways happening at different times with different, like it's, it's complexity, it's vastness, it's all of them. I mean, I'm, I mean, this sort of gets to a fundamental point, which is that everything is connected to everything else. You can't isolate just a moment of a feeling. And that's why it would be very hard for me to say, well, do I think this is worthwhile information? Do I think it's any good? Now, I think the information is great. See, see, see even now I'm getting into the tangle, yeah, right? Even now I'm sort of, I'm, I'm conscious enough to say, well, oh, but is it? But, oh, no, 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 it's not, but... But maybe it's the information, it's not my delivery, and then, oh, uh, but maybe if it's popular, but if it's not popular, and then, oh, uh, you know. So <laughs> that <laughs> that kind of back and forth, that sort of chitter-chatter game, 
that's, well, it's just a game. And it depends on how conscious I am as to what it's like for me to play it. And that's just something that all creators go through, I'd say. So, let's move on. Let's get into some of my select favorite episodes from the year, from this year only. So, we're not going to go before May 2020. Where to begin? So, the first episode I did back after my break was called You Have Five Bodies. And we talked about the physical body, the energetic body, the subtle body, the emotional body, the causal body, and the cosmic body. And you could say, well, that's six, Dosta. And I'd say, yeah, I know it's six, but we moved it into five just for simplicity's sake. And this idea was a way of breaking up the phenomenological experience, your experience of reality, right? If we say that that's one thing, all you have is your experience of reality. Well, the five bodies is a way of dividing that into five or six equal parts. And this is something that I piece together from multiple practices because what you find when you do transformative practices or any practice at all in anything, there is different things that the practices are designed to work on. So some things are for the physical body. Some things are for the causal body and so on. And to further help illustrate what this means and what it was like to experience each of the bodies differently, I had other episodes, which was music and the five bodies and sex and the five bodies. So in those episodes, we talked about what does it mean to be physical? What does the physical body do? How does it behave? How does it act? What are its limitations? How does it feel? And then there was the energetic body. Well, what does music do energetically? What are the limits of your energy? How does it feel? What are its qualities? And the energetic body is different again with sex. When you have an energetic component to your sex life, How is that different to just physical sex? And you can see that this is quite deep, right? This is quite vast because if you've got sex and music and experiencing, then you've got three different ways of threading five or six bodies. That's already 15 things. And really, I should probably say that This discussion here is really an introduction to an introduction, like the subject of the five bodies and the episode that we did 
was really only an introduction. So there's so much to it. There's so much in it. And it's quite hard to piece these together. It's quite hard to see that the things are unto themselves and right for themselves. So when you have something that is for the physical body, it's right for it to be for the physical body and you shouldn't expect anything from the emotional or the causal or the energetic body. You shouldn't expect to be working on those. You shouldn't expect to be awakening those. And then also, you get to resolve these certain contradictions because you might have some exercise which is for the energetic body, which is, for example, if you do Tai Chi practice or Qigong or any sort of Qi practice or some certain martial arts will do this as well. And you're using your physical body, but it's not building you muscles. It's not actually making you stronger. And you might think, well, what's the point here? What is it actually doing? Is it doing anything? And if you don't understand this difference between the physical body and the energetic body, then you can easily just write one off. You can miss out on one. And really the whole thing with having five bodies and working on all of them is to enrich your life. It's to really have a huge variety of experiences, rich experiences, because you can't experience the energy body in the same way that you can experience the physical body and vice versa. You can't experience the the physical body in the same way you experience the energetic body. They're totally different things. They're totally different modes of being. And if you're working on them individually and you're actually building this up so that you've got an understanding of each of the bodies and you're strengthening them and learning how to go in and out of them, then you're really opening up to huge experiences, a huge range of experience, a massive range of experiences. You'll be, you'll be shocked at how many ways there are to experience something. How many ways are there to experience life? So that was a big one. That's got a lot in it. So those three episodes were the first that I did, or some of the first that I did when I came back. And what I had been doing was actually working on the five bodies. I'd actually been doing this. I learned about energy. I learned about emotion. The emotional body is absolutely fundamental to powerful experiences. You want passion in your life. You want depth to your life. You want to have that experience where you say, whoa, I'll never forget that for as long as I live. Well, you've got to work with the emotional body. And I say quite a lot about it in those episodes. So, recommended listening. (laughs) This can be a sort of recommended listening episode (laughs) of my own episodes (laughs) but there's a lot in it so the physical body is lifting weights going for a run pushing grabbing gross physical 
And then the energetic body is, well, it's currents, it's heat, it's tingling sensations, it's balance, it's centering. And then the subtle body, well, that's detail, nuance, smaller increments, finer gradations, more subtle. It is what it says it is. It's the subtle body. And then the emotional body is, well, that's the heart. That's the gut. That's the Ugh, that's the emotion, passion, fire, hate, love, tears, joy, determination, bitterness, remorse, regret, playfulness, celebration, these sorts of things. And then you've got the causal body. Well, that's the mind. If I tell you to stand up right now and you do it, stand up from your chair or wherever you are, just stand up if you're sitting down. If you're you're standing up, sit down, then that serves the illustration the same. Then you've done something with your physical body because of the words you've heard from me. And that's me affecting your causal body. I'm affecting your mind with the words that I'm using. And the difference between me telling you to stand up and you do it, and the difference between me actually walking over and grabbing you around the arms and sort of lifting you up to indicate that you need to stand up, well, that's the difference between the causal body and the physical body. The mind is the causal body. It's your psychology, it's your script, it's your inner dialogue, it's your inner narrative. It's the words that you hear from wherever words are coming from, from where all communications come from. So that's the causal body. And then there's the cosmic body, which is infinite. (laughs) The causal body contains and is all of the other bodies all at once, because you notice that these bodies, they're all happening at the same time, right? Just because I start talking doesn't mean your physical body disappears. Well, it's the same with energy and subtlety and emotion and all of those. (laughs) The causal, the, sorry, the cosmic body is a little bit more sort of mystical, and I don't think I said too much of about it in those episodes because it is so mystical. The causal body is the shape of reality. That was another way we figured out how a body is a body, is well, what shape it's in. <laughs> your physical body has a shape and your emotions have shapes. And also reality has a shape. It's an infinite shape. So that's just a little bit about that. I sort of feel how heavy that subject is. There's so much in that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we talked about there. So, next episode that I really liked, and this was so much fun. (laughs) This one was Teddy Bear Consciousness Techniques. 
<laughs> this was incredible. This was so incredible. Can you understand that you can use a teddy bear for consciousness techniques? I'm even I'm even feeling it now, just talking about it, just the words like, oh, the teddy bear. When was the last time you slept with a teddy bear? Did you know that sleeping with a teddy bear can be a highly advanced technique for raising your awareness and for changing around your phenomenological experiencing? Well, that's exactly what we spoke about in that episode. And of course, I experimented with this when I was in my travels, when I was overseas, and I have done a lot of this in lots of different ways. And essentially, one of the core things to understand from teddy bear conscious techniques, consciousness techniques, is that something very simple can be a consciousness technique. And in fact, it's usually the simple ones that are very, very powerful. And that's what makes them so tricky to appreciate. That's what makes them so tricky to understand. Because you could just say, well, Dosta, are you just telling me to sleep with a teddy bear? Cuddle a teddy bear at night? Is that it? Is that all you're talking about? Is that is that what it is? That's not a technique. That's just doing something. How is that classified as a consciousness technique? And that's where I say, no, no, no. You don't understand. This gets at really deep stuff. This gets at heavy stuff. This can open you up in so many ways. This can really change you at your core, your very core. And of course, you wouldn't know that if you didn't have the appreciation for it. You wouldn't know that if you hadn't actually gone into it with sincerity. So there's a lot of value in understanding how powerful something simple can be. So teddy bear teddy bear consciousness techniques was a fun one. It's <laughs> I mean it's helped me so much. I mean I'm such a serious guy. I'm so serious. I've got so much seriousness in me that it's it was so good to have teddy bear consciousness techniques. It's just a it's just amazing how much it can open up. I'm astonished. It's just like, wow. And I highly recommend, of course, that you go back and listen to that episode. So another episode I did was called My Name is Dosta and Here's What Happened. And I talked about a little bit of how I got the name Dosta. And I believe I didn't really go into the full story. And I did that on purpose because I felt it's a big story. In my mind, it's a grand narrative. And I do intend at some point to somehow release that in some way to tell that story. It's a story I want to tell. And so I told it in that episode in the way that seemed right at that time with the amount of information that seemed right for where I was at at the time. And then there was also the sort of corollary episode, which is 
is Doster a girl's name? And we talked about different identity things and stories of becoming in that one. And we talked about things generally. They weren't all just personal stuff. But the episode My Name is Doster was a little bit more personal. Like it had more of that story. And it's significant. It is significant. Because there is meaning in a name. And really all that I'm doing is tied up in this identity shift. And it's not even exactly an identity shift. That's not the right way of putting it. But Dosta is, well, to make it a bit more tangible for you, it's a neo-sannyasin name. So I explained later on what it means to be a neo-sannyasin. There's a whole episode on that. Whether people put those two episodes together, I don't know. But Dosta is really my categorical decision to have a life of meditation. And that also comes with the sort of flavors of Osho, the sort of teachings that he gave, a sort of message that he had. Now, of course, there's also a lot of independence to it. Well, it's entirely independent. It's entirely up to me what I make of it. And Osho's clear about that. And I sort of feel on this subject, it's better not to say anything at all than to say just a little. Because if you want to say a little, you have to say a lot. Now, some things some things are like that. Some things you, you really have to explain all of it. Some things you really have to go into all the different details. And I think how I feel about neo-sannyasins or neo-sannyasinism, if that is such a thing, it's not, it's not exactly an ism, is one of those things. So... The other thing about that episode, My Name is Dosta, is that I shared a poem at the end. And that really sums up everything that's happened to me. It's really one of the most dense few words that I've ever put together. And and it just is... It's just leaving me speechless right now. It's bringing a tear to my ear, a tear to my eyes right now, just to even think that I could write such a thing and say such a thing. And it's an emotional episode. I wonder if I, I wonder if I cry too much sometimes. I mean, <laughs> you can't, you can't see tears on a podcast episode, but maybe you can sense it. <laughs> but it was good of me to really keep a sort of personal side to the podcast. There's sort of the informational side and the teaching side, but there's also a little bit of the personal. And where it's important, where I think it's right, well, then I share about that. And so that was one of those episodes. So another favorite of mine was the Osho Active Meditations, an introduction. So in that one, we talked about dynamic meditation. We talked about kundalini meditation. We talked about evening meeting. We talked about mandala. We talked about 
what else do we talk about? I think that's probably just about all because they're the main ones. Oh, Nada Brahma. I think we talked about Nada Brahma if we had time. It might have been that we didn't have time to even cover all those because there's so many sections to them. But that was really my testament for how powerful the Osho meditations were. That was my way of saying, hey, look, this is something truly amazing. And I've got so much out of the Osho meditations. Geez, I wonder if I wonder if you can hear that in the background. Someone's vacuuming the carpet right outside my door. I wonder if that's coming up on the recording. Maybe it's not. Either way, doesn't matter. It's a bit distracting, but that's okay. So Osho created active meditations in his time, and they were developed on his commune with many sannyasins, with many test groups. And it was refined in many different ways and they had all sorts of sort of combined techniques and processes and the length of time for each one and there's supporting music for each one. So it's a valuable resource. These techniques are scientific, cutting edge, designed for the modern man, designed to be as effective, as, as powerfully as possible in the shortest amount of time. If you want, if you really want hardcore growth fast, then the number one prescription I have for you is Osho active meditations. That's really, it's really your only option. It's your only option. And of course, it's difficult to sort of do them on your own. It's sort of difficult to have a strong introduction as to, well, where do I go to do it? And that's why people travel to Osho communes, because then you're in an environment where you're supported and you're doing it in a group and you're actually allowed to really go deep into it. And maybe that's something you just have to put on your to-do list. Maybe that's something for later on in life. But don't put it off too long. Don't put it off because really, it's just, I, I can't say enough how important they are. I can't say enough how incredible they are, how powerful they are. Osho was an absolute genius with the things that he created. And I really mean that. You've really got to know about this. This stuff must be known. It must be known about all over the place. So if you're not familiar with Osho and his work, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And as for his active meditations, you have got to do them. You've got to try them. Man, it really is heavy stuff. So what else do we have? Let me take a sip of water. Another favorite episode of mine was Bob the Brain Cell. So this was a little bit different because this was a story. So it wasn't like I was explaining a meditation technique or a psychology or discussing a philosophy or a theory. It was a story. It was story time with Dosta. So I hope people like my stories. I hope people get something out of them. I hope maybe they're a little bit quirky. 
But Bob the Brain Cell was the first story that I shared on the podcast, and that was a psychedelic story. Actually, also one that came up on my travels, one that I had, one that I came up with on my travels. And there were other stories as well. So just just to say briefly but about Bob the Brain Cell, Bob is a brain cell. He works in the brain. And what happens is one day his whole office explodes and he finds out that he's been catapulted off into this other world and he ends up on this ship and then the ship gets shipwrecked and then he's on this island and he's thinking, well, how do I get back to the brain? And in the end, well, I don't know if I should give away the ending, but he does get back to the brain. I won't tell you how. Go back and listen to the episode. And then we have another story, which was Sam Whaler, the Flat Earth Sailor. So Sam always wanted to be a sailor. And he remembered in school that people were saying how silly people used to be because they used to believe the earth was flat. And of course he knew, because of his education, that the earth is round. And then little Sammy grows up, and he doesn't become a sailor. Well, he actually gets a job in an office or something. And on the internet one day, he sort of finds out that there are people who believe the earth is flat. And upon more research, he starts to doubt, and he starts to wonder, well, looking at this information, maybe the earth is flat. And then he has an epiphany, which is that, well, he always wanted to be a sailor. So he quit his job and he became a sailor and he said, I'm going to find out for myself whether the earth is flat. And he sailed out across the earth and he found out. <laughs> what he found out, I'm not going to tell you. That's, that, would be the, that would spoil the story. <laughs> but he did find the answer as to whether the earth is flat or whether it's round. And I believe the answer that he found is true. I believe that I actually agree with him. Although I haven't done the journey that Sam Whaler has done, I'm pretty sure that I would agree with his information, with his methodology as to that truth that he found about whether the earth is flat or the earth is round. Wow, that rhymed. Definitely recommend that story. That one was a lot of fun. And then the other story was Mr. Hovels Gets a Speeding Ticket. And that was a beautiful story about friendship. Ah, how nice. Friendship. And I do wonder if it's a bit abstract, a bit quirky. I mean, my storytelling style is still in its developments, ways, and it's just a bit of fun, really. Like those story episodes are sort of meant to break it up be a little bit more different, do something that is not quite so heavy on the brain, just a little bit more sort of raise your eyebrow, tilt your head sort of thing. So I do have more. I do have more stories coming. I've got this story about a guy who's trying to get his light bulb changed and he can't get it changed because of the electrician. And then the electrician won't do it because of the pest control guy. 
and then the pest control guy won't do it because of some other guy and well I still have to work out all the details as to what happens but basically sometimes it's a real pain to change a light bulb sometimes it's really difficult and changing a light bulb in some ways is like changing the world so maybe I'll have that one come out in the future sometime so next one I liked was a series so we've done quite a few series this year and that's just because we're covering big topics and I think I think it was one of the first series I did it was learning to breathe and this one was really full of so much information full of so many techniques it really is a kind of comprehensive catalog of breathing techniques so learning to breathe was a 10 part series and we went through every single breathing technique that i know about and i explain them i even demonstrate some of them we discuss them and basically you're free to try them yourself you're free to try them in your own time you can try them at home so it's very valuable information in there to collect all those techniques to find all those techniques took ages and to really experiment with them and work them and figure them out it took just so long it's just an amazing amount of density in that series so there's also subtitles to each episode so some of them are about sports there's one about sex there's one about osho meditations there's one about pranayama and a few other ones like that so you can i mean i suggest you listen to the whole series but if you just want to listen to one or two you can pick one by the subtitle as well so yeah i mean i really believe in the density of that series i wish more people would hear it i wish i wish more people had heard it so another series was speaking in tongues <laughs> i don't know if that one was quite as important as the learning to breathe one but i don't know if anyone's really listened to that at all which is understandable but that was sort of part of the experiment right when you experiment some are a hit some are a miss and i think maybe speaking in tongues was a miss but fun to do anyhow <laughs> so speaking in tongues was a real-time demonstration of the osho no mind technique so i was speaking in tongues for one hour straight every day for a week and you can listen along <laughs> as you wish or you can not listen if you don't wish but that was just part of the experiment then we had notably tantra an introduction and also there was an additional episode called more tantra techniques and stories so there's two episodes on tantra and sort of like the learning to breathe series there's real techniques that you can do there's real consciousness techniques that you can do in those episodes and this is sort of this is sort of the dilemma of teaching it's like you have to 
get people to do stuff, right? You have to get people to see the value of it. You have to get people to realize, hey, this is really important. This is of great interest. If you do this, it will do stuff for you. It will open things for you. So the Tantra episode is like that. The Tantra episode is full of techniques in some ways, but also full of stories and full of theory. So it's a bit of a mix in the Tantra one. And Tantra is a big topic. It's a very broad topic. It's broad like meditation. So I didn't end up talking much more about Tantra because, well, we went on to other things. It just didn't come up again. And we could in the future. I mean, how much interest is there in it? How many people really want to know about it? Who knows? And I mean, this sort of gets into the thing of like the the episodes that are popular that I do. Well, should I do more like that? Or should I talk about something else? Or should I only talk about the ones that, uh, well, the ones that I like? And that's actually what's happening here. Like this list that I'm going through, these are my favorites personally. They're not necessarily the most popular. And in fact, some of the most popular episodes, <laughs> I didn't even like that much. <laughs> I just thought, well, that wasn't very good, but then they're really popular. So where's the logic in that? I don't know. So another thing I did was a couple of song reviews. So I did a song review of Rap God by Eminem and King Park by La Dispute and also 433 by John Cage. And then there was also the series Mainstreaming Enlightenment, which had a song review of Drops of Jupiter. And then there was also the episode, which was Metal Poetry. And I went through the lyrics of System of a Down, Mudvayne, Slipknot, Machine Head, and Meshuggah. And that was interesting. I mean, that's a sort of type of episode that I can do. And it's a way of looking at lyrics, seeing what they mean and sort of discussing them. And I hope I've offered some insight, which is not found anywhere else. I mean, I'm pretty sure that looking at those from a meditative sort of mystical, spiritual, philosophical framework is not very common. And there is worth in them. And at the very least, talking about them shows how you can get something out of anything. And that's a sort of attitude that I've had for many things. And in fact, in that series, Mainstreaming Enlightenment, that was the idea, right? Anything can have some juice to it. There's, there's some worth or there's some truth even in the most obtusely mainstream plastic seemingly inauthentic things. And of course, that does come with the warning that, well, there are things that are just plastic and fake and inauthentic. But that's the discussion. That's the sort of why we have these discussions. Well, how is it and how isn't it? What is good about it? What's bad about it? So... Those are a few song reviews. I might do more song reviews. I only do them as something jumps up to me. Like the song King Park, that really jumped out at me. That song in and of itself was really something. So 
If you want to know more about that, you can listen to the episode there. So, we had an Eric Erickson episode, which was titled Life Issues by Age. So, that was another developmental psychology model that we discussed. We've had a few of those now. We also had the George Orwell commentary. So, we did a three-part series on 1984. And that really was a big one for me because it helped me see so much about society and culture and what it means to be in culture. And many of the comments that are made about culture after that series were because of the insight from that book, 1984. So classic English literature is something we touched on a little bit and maybe we'll do more of it. But I was just really drawn to this book. I really felt like 1984 is still relevant, still fundamental literature for anyone who's studying. So well worth understanding, well worth reading. And then we had the Harry Potter commentary. <laughs> so I don't know if I don't know if Harry Potter counts as English literature, <laughs> but it was definitely very fun. And that was really, it's really probably my favorite series. Yeah. Out of all the series, out of all the commentaries, probably the most fun was the Harry Potter one. And it was fun because I could just put like different references, almost like adult references, which you wouldn't get from the kid's story or a kid's commentary and treating it like, a serious piece of literature, like actually respecting it as a story also sort of had its own juice from it. It had its own, like, reward. So that was really fun and that was a massive series. That was like an eight-part series. Sorry, 18-part series. So it's 18 hours long. And, yeah, I mean, I wish more people would listen to it you know, like I release, I release these series and, you know, maybe like two or three people hear it when it comes out and then, and then that's it, you know, like, wow, two or three people heard this, this commentary that I did, which is 18 hours. And (laughs) maybe that's my sort of artist's dilemma, creator's dilemma, talking too much again, (laughs) but it was so much fun to do. And yeah, I love Harry Potter. I just think it's, an incredible story, incredibly written, and there was so much depth to it, which you'll hear if you listen to the commentary. And you won't hear a commentary like that anywhere else because we're making such obscure cultural references and cross-literary references. Like, we're comparing certain scenes in Harry Potter to Alex Gray artworks. And that is just something no one else is going to talk about because it's a kid's story. (laughs) And kids don't talk about Alex Gray. So if you want to know more about that, go and listen to it. I think that was in episode 9, episode 8 or 9. It's the one, here's how you know, it's the one labeled explicit. (laughs) So you can go back and listen to that or listen to the whole series. So... 
I then had the series, or another one I wanted to mention was the series, What Happens When I? So this was another one which was not a commentary, but me actually attempting to demonstrate in real time a live awareness technique. So really personal stuff in that one. And each episode was different. It was like, what happens when I speak the truth? What happens when I appreciate nature? What happens when I become a child again? What happens when I fall in love? These sorts of things. And I would answer them. I would just, in real time, see what was coming up. So (laughs) if you've listened to that series, well, actually, you know me very well. You know me very personally in a very intimate way. So don't ever tell me that I'm not transparent because the way I was talking in that, the way I was sort of expressing myself was right from my core of my being. It was right from all the different things. And you saw so many different angles. Yeah. Every episode was coming from a different angle. What happens when I different angle. What happens when I, new angle. So if you listen to that series, wow, you know me better than some of my, (laughs) some of my close friends. And of course, maybe you can't compare like how you get to know someone from what they're saying one way and how you get to know someone from being in the same room as them. Well, maybe you can't compare those two things, but there's definitely some personal stuff in there. Another one I wanted to mention was the episode on integration. And that episode is very fundamental. That episode is very important for spiritual work and transformative practice. Because we do these things, right? We do these processes and they're largely designed to open us up. They're designed to bring us into an encounter with something. They're designed to reveal something. Yeah, broadly speaking, that's what transformative practice does. But then the other side that you cannot forget about is integration, which is, well, what do you do with what's been revealed to you? What do you do with this experience that you've had? And that's largely what my year has been about. That's what my personal sort of process has been. If last year, 2019, was the study and the experiences, well, then this year was, how do I integrate it? How do I learn to enfold those? How do I really hold them consciously without clinging to them, but also without losing the lessons that I've learned? So we take a deep dive into the mechanics of integration. And if you want to know more about that, then I suggest you listen to that episode. And then we came to, which is probably my favorite episode. So I'm only going to say this about one episode, I promise. But this is my favorite episode. It's probably my favorite episode of all time. And this episode was Elixir Koans. And this came to me in a peak experience. I had the idea for this in a peak experience. And it was a completely natural peak experience. So no drugs, no chemicals, nothing. Just perfect, plain old fashioned meditation. 
And of course, there were other things around that which helped to draw out a peak experience within me. But this episode really was one of my core theses. And it's an all original idea. It's all an all original approach. So what are the Elixir koans? Well, there's four of them. The first one is, I am. I am hearing the vacuum cleaner again. (laughs) Right when I'm starting to deliver the heavy speech, the vacuum cleaner starts up again. How much vacuuming can you do? Well, I guess that's the way it goes, doesn't it? The first... (laughs) See, I've lost my concentration now. I've lost my point. Where are we up to? Okay, so we've got four elixir koans. The first one is, I am. The second one is, I am doing. The third one is, I am feeling. And the fourth one is, I am being. And then the I am one has a correlatory one, which is, I am not. So you can say what you are, and you can say what you are not. You can say what you are doing, you can say what you are being, and you can say what you are feeling. And those four sort of staples of inquiry allow you to open up to all parts of your being. Now, how this applies as a technique is a little bit more tricky. How we actually work this into something that you can practice, well, that's something that I still need to develop. And I did talk about it a little bit in that episode, but I still feel it needs more development. And I have had ideas of how we can do this as a group, how we can actually turn it into like a conference or a not really a conference, but a group in the sense of like an awareness intensive. And so that's Elixir Koans. It's probably probably my favorite episode of all time really fundamental to how you open yourself up to what you are and it really gets at the fundamentals it really gets at self-knowledge self-awareness coming into a deeper experience of reality and it's founded on real heavy traditional awareness techniques it's founded on the inquiries of koans Now, it's not exactly the same as koans. It's not exactly the same as answering philosophical questions or even awareness questions or inquiry questions. But that's why it's different. That's why it's modern. That's why it's only founded on tradition rather than just being of the tradition. So, look up Elixir Koans, Andrew Lake Podcast. That was my favorite episode of the year. And I only get to say that about one, otherwise it doesn't mean anything. I'm not going to start saying, no, this one was my favorite. No, this one was my favorite. Make sure I don't. So next moment of note for me was the Grace and Grit commentary. Now, this was another big commentary and heavy subject material, very heavy subject material. Not as easy as, (laughs) not quite the same as Harry Potter. And I don't know if Harry Potter was easy or hard, but very different in density. 
So Grace and Grit is this incredible book by Ken Wilber, and it's the story of his wife, Treya Killam Wilber, and her journey with cancer, and her also her journey with spiritual awakening. And there's so much in that. There's so much detail. They talk about structures of consciousness. They talk about levels of consciousness. They talk about meditative practices, healing practices, all sorts of therapies, interpersonal therapies, couples awareness techniques, couples therapies, all sorts of relationships, family issues, a whole bunch of things. It's just like really dense and gets really at the core of so many things. And it's also a beautiful story. It's also a personal story for Ken Wilbur and Treya Killam Wilbur. It's almost, well, it's, it's got the journal style to it. It's got the journal component to it. And it's a multidimensional text because it's, it's really a whole bunch of genres together. That's one of the beauties of that book is it's this sort of tapestry of multiple genres where you've got interview style where it's like question and answer and then there's conversational style where they're having a conversation but then there's also the personal journal where it's like an autobiography but then there's also narrative where it's actually the story and so on. And then there's also technical explanations where it's actually like a non-fiction book. So it's this incredibly complicated and beautifully mastered book which has all these genres and all these themes interwoven so nicely. I sort of felt at times I was a bit out of my depth with that one because it's so heavy or a bit like this is over my head. <laughs> See, that's the that's the phrase over my head again, you know, like do I really want to do a commentary on Grace and Grit? Maybe I should just stick with kids' books. But I'm glad I did it. I don't know if anyone will listen to it, but I'm glad I went through it. And the experience of doing it was so strange because as I was going through the explanations, I was seeing the different structures within my meditation practice. It was actually being revealed to me, these inner structures, this interiority, because I was meditating at the same time. And it really put me into quite a unique state. It was quite a unique experience to go deep into it. So that was my experience with Grace and Grit. So as for some more comments on my favorite episodes, are you tired yet? I hope you're not tired. I'm not tired. I love doing this. This is amazing. We've still got a few more of my favorites. Well, not my favorites, just notables. I think, I, I guess all of these, right? Okay, now I get it. So you said that the Elixir Khans was your favorite. Okay, so all of these are my favorites out of all the episodes. And then out of all my favorites, my most favorite is Elixir Khans. Okay, that's how I'll say it. So Elixir Khans is my favorites of the favorites, but this is the list of my favorites. There we go. We've sorted our words. So my next favorite for the year was Toy Story 3. So this was the theological implications of Toy Story 3. Did you get that? Like how amazing is it 
that the story of God is in this mainstream movie. The story of religion is in this mainstream movie. I don't think many people get that. I don't think many people saw that. And I like doing those sorts of commentaries. I like picking something out of mainstream culture and seeing it in a different light. Although I do have so much <laughs> so much bad to say about the mainstream culture and I have in the past told myself to stay away from it in so many ways, but Toy Story 3, I mean, what a movie, right? What a movie, what a moment, what a story to see, what a sight to behold. So I guess for that occasion and every other, I bent the rules on commentating on mainstream culture, but I liked it, so maybe that's the only rule I need to have. Say what you want to say about the things you like. I then had the series The Astonishing. So that was where I was being a little bit more serious and really trying to emphasize the importance of beauty, the importance of awe, the importance of rapture, the importance of understanding the weight of significance of what it means to be alive. I was talking about things that are meaningful to me, things that are really what I can put as the most important. And there's really so few opportunities that I have to really just focus down deep on those things. So they were really sort of like pinnacle subjects that we were talking about. And you must understand that the conversation we're having here, this this setup that we've got going on, it's unique. It's unique only to this situation. And I can only say the things that I'm saying here because of this environment, because of this situation. These sort of things don't get said in other contexts. And that series, The Astonishing, was really my my chance to, with great reverence, with great sincerity, put out something that, well, is so meaningful to me. So... That was a five-part series. We talked about a lot. We talked about a lot. So definitely recommend that one. My next one was, well, my favorite Osho parable. I love talking about Osho. I've talked so much about Osho. Probably not as much as I could have. I sort of tend to try and let him speak for himself where he can, but... My favorite Osho parable I had to share. And then there's also the story in there of my own little incident, which sort of was a correlatory parable, which was the the incident with the coconut and this lady in the canteen in the cafeteria was trying to put a coconut on her plate and she couldn't get it to stand up. And this actually happened to a friend. And the friend said, well, here, just put this cup here and you can sit it in there and that's problem solved. And then later on, this lady wrote a message to this girl about the coconut police. 
And we just thought, my goodness, what are you doing? Why are you denying this help? Why are you denying someone who's actually just trying to do a kind gesture for you? And it goes the same for the Osho parable, which is the peasant and the warm stone. The principle still applies. The same idea is in that. And in some ways it's an inspiring story, but in another way it's a very sad story. Because it says that, well, people don't get it. People don't see when someone's trying to help. People don't see what's good for them. And I guess the telling of the story is part of a way of overcoming that. So ultimately it's a good thing. But it does paint a sad picture. Paints it for a reason. So, the next series that I did, they sort of went hand in hand, these two, which was Tell Me Who Is Speaking and Tell Me Who Is In. So this, this, what can I say about this? This was definitely, this was definitely on the side of the experimental. And I don't know if I pulled it off. I don't know if I really got what I was going for. So, with Tell Me Who Is Speaking... I was recording myself answering the imperative, tell me who is speaking. And that was an adaptation from the imperative, tell me who is in. And I adapted it so that, well, it would fit for the podcast. It would work on this platform. Now, what came out, <laughs> I actually ended up editing and I cut it, cut it down and whittled it down And you still get a sense of it. You still get an idea of it. But it didn't happen the way I thought it would. It didn't capture the... It didn't capture the essence of what a koan can do for you. It didn't capture the essence of what inquiring into an imperative can do in real time. And I figured that, well, actually, it's impossible to capture that because when your parameters are different, your circumstances are different, and you are different. And you can't separate that. You're never going to change that. You're never going to have a private room which is exactly the same as a public room because private and public are separate. That's just how it is. As soon as someone's listening, it's public. As soon as no one's listening, it's private. And as much as we can try to blur those, there's always going to be a dynamic there. There's always going to be a back and forth. Things are what they are, and there's no way that they can be changed. So I then did who is in sets and then didn't record them, but did trip reports. So that was me actually trying to explain what had happened in real time each day. And that was very different. They're very different series. And I think the who is in speaking, like who is, tell me who is speaking series there's sort of so much there. You don't really know what you're getting. So I wonder if anyone really could listen to it at all because it's quite a lot of information. It's quite a lot of time to go through. And you never really know how to correlate with... You you never know what you're walking into. And it's so different every time. So I don't know. Maybe that will be a failed experiment. That's just one of the 
things you have to kick off on your way through. But I learned a lot from it and I was put into different states because of it. And I found a lot personally, very much so. So even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't convey something of value on the podcast, even if it's not of worth to someone to listen to, it was still worth me doing it because I got the juice from the technique. I actually did the technique, so I got the results. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about those two. I mean, it's such a powerful technique and there's such a a big history to it. There's so much to it that maybe it just doesn't fit like some things you just can't fit into a podcast because they're so big. It's just impossible. And I think maybe that's what's happened there. Maybe that's what I've done. And maybe, maybe just by failing, maybe just by not conveying the size of it that's actually in a in a funny sort of way conveyed it because it's like well it's so big that he failed that shows that well it must be really big right something like that maybe i don't know yeah i don't know if anyone should really listen to tell me who is speaking i probably i would recommend listening to tell me who is in trip reports before I recommend anyone listening to Tell Me Who Is Speaking. Because Tell Me Who Is Speaking, that was, what, like 18 parts or something, or 16 parts, and Who Is In was just seven parts. It was just seven days. So probably getting the explanation of what's happened is better than trying to hear it as it's actually happening, I think. So I probably like who is in Trip Report better than Tell Me Who Is Speaking. So, a few more, not many more. We had Forced Smile Meditation and Forced Arousal Meditation. These are so important. I mean, we've talked about so many different meditations. Sunset meditation, micro meditation, passive meditation, active meditation, all sorts of kinds of meditations. And these ones, forced smile meditation and arousal meditation, well, they go hand in hand. They go together. And they're sort of, in a funny way, a line on that line between active meditation and passive meditation. They're sort of in between. And they're just they're just effective. They're just a technique that works. They're just the technique that does what's needed. And I've offered it freely, I've explained it, and you can do it for yourself at home. And I really wish I had heard if anyone had <laughs> if anyone's had any success with it. I don't know. But for me personally, I've had great success with both of these, which is forced smile meditation and forced arousal meditation. And they mean just what they mean, right? Again, it's like they're so simple and yet don't underestimate how powerful they are. It's like that old thing of just simplicity is depth. 
forced smile meditation is you sit down, you close your eyes, and you force yourself to smile for 20 minutes. Now, I've found even 20 minutes is quite a long time. You could do this for just 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and you can get something out of it. And then forced arousal meditation, well, that's where you you force yourself to get a hard-on. You actually sit down, close your eyes, and go into your sexual fantasies. Now, an important thing in that, which I hope I emphasized in that episode, is don't touch it. No hanky-panky. No playing with the iron. No touching. Hands off. It's only going to be your mind. It's only mind-fucking that keeps it erect. That's the rule, because you're working with your sexual fantasies. You're working with the causal body. You're working with the noosphere. You're working with the mind. And that means keeping the physical body out of it. And actually, that's a good connection. If you understand the five bodies, then you can understand this connection between the mind and the physical body. And really, that's what it takes to understand sexuality. That's what it takes to balance your sexuality. I had another episode called Balancing Sex and Heart Centers. So that was the physical body and the emotional body to do with sexual energies. So that's another way of actually working out the dynamics between these different parts within you. And it's all about harmony. It's all about, well, how do you get this to work together in a nice way? How do you stop those frustrations? How do you stop those hang-ups? And the answer is, well, get them to work together in a harmony. Get them to work together in a rhythm. And you say, well, what's the practical way to do that? Harmony and rhythm are abstract terms. Why are you being so poetic? And the answer is, well, you do the meditation. Do forced smile meditation. Do forced arousal meditation. So it's all very practical, connected to a really powerful theoretical base. I hope you hear that. I hope you're starting to get that. I mean, you probably am. You probably are. I mean, if you've listened this far, you're starting to get it at least. So have a go at forced smile meditation. That one is probably best to do first. Do a little bit of forced smile meditation before you do forced arousal meditation. And I explain that in those episodes. So now we're sort of getting more recent. More recently we had, well, we had the Christmas special. That was fun. And then we've got commentary theory. So this is my idea of what it means to do commentaries. And there will be more commentaries. And I offered that conversation not just to understand my approach to my commentaries, but also to see it in the other commentaries online. The other things that you see people talking about in the informational sphere. And this is very important. This is very tricky in so many ways because there's so much information. It's so hard sometimes to make sense of what you're hearing, what you're reading, what is going on in that crazy sphere of the wild, wild internet. So understanding how commentaries work and how social social commentators 
can be well how should i put this they should be or they they can be appealing to outrage and in such a way that it's actually very subtle and in such a way that it's not exactly on the surface obvious that it's outrage so i'm not talking about outrage culture unto itself now that is a thing we've got outrage culture where people react and they're outraged but then there's also the outrage which is reactionary and it's more subtle and it's not expressing itself as a obtuse emotion it's not an obvious expression of outrage and that's what you need to be more careful with and the analogy i used in that episode was that of weaving a tapestry now when you do a commentary you're taking someone's weaving and you're weaving something new into it you're making a new tapestry out of the parts of that tapestry and a lot of the time people are commentating by just taking one thread out of the tapestry isolating it and taking it out of context so you need to understand the difference there and then more recently i think this was this must be the episode before this one if my calculations are correct the the question was do people change and that's an important episode there's a lot in that and the answer is do people change well yes they do but it's not common for them to change most people don't change so it's a trick question but it's something that is very important and very personal to me and something that i feel very passionate about and so i highly recommend that you go and listen to that and probably by now i've said that enough times just just listen to all my episodes <laughs> Is that okay for me to say at this stage? Just listen to them all. <laughs> except except for some of them. Some of them you don't really need to listen to. <laughs> I don't know. It's up to you. Once again, the choice is up to you. So that's it. Wow. What a year it's been. I mean, the podcast hasn't even been all that's been going on in my year i mean it's probably been the one of the biggest things but it's also like i i'm recording this in advance now so by the time you hear this it will actually be about 3 months since i've said all this can you wrap your head around that like once you hear this if you hear it on the day that it's coming out then it's actually 3 months ago that i was saying this and i operate in a different sense of time I don't have the normal year schedule that most people have. Ever since I did time travel, which is another episode you can listen to. <laughs> Ever since I've done time travel, my sense of time has been messed up big time. <laughs> big time messed up sense of time. <laughs> can you get your head around that one? <laughs> so probably also the other thing is that by the time you hear this episode, it will have already been out for some time. it will have already been out for ages so it's very very unlikely that you are listening to this on the day that it comes out i mean if you're listening to podcasts on new year's eve or new year's day whatever it is then wow 
I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Maybe that is the best thing to do on New Year's Day. So, also, if the nuclear holocaust has come and I'm long since gone from this earth, it's been very nice to know you and thank you very much. I probably shouldn't joke about this. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be back. Don't don't get any scared. That sort of reminds me, I did this episode before I went overseas. I said, oh, by the time you hear this, I'll be long gone. And I was saying like, well, because I record them in advance, right? I'll be long gone overseas. But someone was like, what What does this mean? He'll be long gone. Will you, will you be dead? <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, no, don't take it the wrong way. That's not what I mean. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about me. We're all very much alive. In fact, in fact, we're more alive than ever. I'm more alive than ever. It's a beautiful thing to realize. And probably by the time you hear this, I'll be even more alive again. If all goes to plan, if everything stays on track as it is. So that makes me smile. That makes me feel so happy. It makes me feel that makes me feel motivated. It makes me feel Oh, just warm inside and all nice. And there's just so much that I'm thankful to. So probably to sort of steer this conversation towards an ending, I would have to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening along. I'm I'm baffled that anyone would want to hear any of this, really. And I mean that. I really do mean that. And of course, if you've been following along, you're starting to get it. And that's just something that I'm so, I'm so proud of. You, you must understand that this podcast, it means the world to me. It means the whole world. It is all I've got. It's the only thing I've got going on. And it really is just, oh, I'm just blown away. So... Thank you very much, and there's so much more to come. Now, I will be taking a bit of a break. How far that takes me and when my schedule will be and when it comes out and what happens next, I don't know. So there might be a gap in the release schedule. There might not be, but I will be back and will probably probably most likely start the year with a series, probably a commentary. I won't say what, I'll leave it open at this stage, but most likely it'll be a series. Something fun, something good, something juicy, something I really like, something you'll really get a lot out of. All the good stuff as always. So, from me to you, the biggest thanks, the most heartfelt, warm feelings, and just love, just love. I probably haven't spoken enough about love. There's so much to do. There's so much to be. There's so much to feel. There's so much aliveness to be had with love. So thank you again. Thank you. Happy New Year. All the best in your new year. And I'll be back very soon with more. And that's all I have to say for now. Bye.
chalk guitar out on my face. Keep up with what's being said. 